Welcome to Iboga Nautics. I'm your host, AM. This is the place to learn everything there is to know about Iboga, one of the most powerful psychedelics in the world. Please also visit my website, amuo.com. That's A M H O U O T.com, where you'll find more information about philosophy of psychedelics and psychedelic technology. So, today and for several episodes, we're going to talk about how we can conceptualize psychedelics in new ways, as well as the context of pairing modern technology with altered states of consciousness. I was going to do this eventually, read out my thesis, my master's thesis for people who don't normally like to read or don't like to read long chunks of text. And I'm going to do this as well for future research articles that I, I write in addition to perhaps some sample chapters that I'll release from some of the books that I'm going to write. I'm very proud of this thesis. It's one of the most interesting things that's come out of my mind thus far. And I want to, I wanted to make it as easily consumable as possible. So it clocks in at two hours and 52 minutes, say just under three hours. It's about half the, the size or time of a standard audiobook. So I have two people in mind as I read this thesis, those are my parents. So my dad is a chef, he's a professional French chef, and he just flat out told me, I don't read. And I, just, I have to accept that. So now there's no excuse, dad. You have to listen to my thesis. I put a lot of effort into it. You got to listen to it. And then also this is for my mom. So my mom stopped reading after the first page. She's, she said, uh, there's too many big words that she didn't understand. So Okay, there might be some big words, but I'm reading them to you, so you, it's not straining on the eyes. Okay, there you go, mom. So not only am I reading, uh, I'm reading this for my parents, my dad particularly, who's a non-reader, but I'm also reading it for all the other non-readers out there. I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that just don't like to read, and that's fine. I'm making it easier for you by reading it to you. So podcasts and audiobooks are, it's a valuable medium for people to consume information. And it's, in my opinion, more easily digestible. So you might not be able to read in most places, but you can listen in most places, right? As well, if you're curious enough to read or listen to my thesis, and you don't understand something like a particular word or concept, I ask you to extend your curiosity to the internet and look up that which you don't understand, just to do a quick search and just figure out what hit pause on the podcast, look up the word, look up the concept, and then move on. I won't read most of the footnotes. I read a couple. I just felt that this would make the reading choppier. And I recommend just download the thesis for obviously a richer experience because you'll see who I'm citing, which text they are, the pages, etc. So um, that's it. I hope you enjoy the listen. It'll take about three hours. I've chunked it up into five different podcasts. So introduction the three chapters, and the conclusion. And, um, yep, enjoy. Toward a philosophy of psychedelic technology, an exploration of fear, otherness, and control by A.M. Uo. A thesis submitted to the Faculty of Behavioral Management and Social Sciences of the University of Twenta in partial fulfillment of the requirements for the degree of Master of Science. The name of the master's program is called Philosophy of Science, Technology, and Society. First supervisor was Dr. Michael Nagenborg. 
second supervisor was Professor Dr. Lisa Roberts. This thesis was defended on February 25th, 2019 in Enschede, the Netherlands. Let's see, I start with a couple of quotes that I like. This one's by Albert Einstein in 1931. He says, The most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger, who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrapped in awe, is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. This insight into the mystery of life, coupled though it be with fear, has also given rise to religion. To know that what is impenetrable to us really exists, manifesting itself as the highest wisdom and the most radiant beauty which our dull faculties can comprehend only in their most primitive forms. This knowledge, this feeling, is at the center of true religiousness. In this sense, and in this sense only, I belong in the ranks of devoutly religious men. The next quote that I really like was uh, by, I'm not sure if I'm saying pronouncing this right, Bilga Saim and Ivana Franca. Uh, who did a art installation, or Ivana Franca did a, an art installation in Berlin, wrote a book called The uh, Phenomenology of the Unknown. They say, An encounter with an unknown encourages us to reconsider mental processes that are non-rational, speculative, and intuitive, processes that complement general modes of thinking, which are often ruled by requirements of efficiency and productivity without disqualifying them a priori as useless, unnecessary, and distracting. To lose the known, to see the apparently impossible, and to be pushed to guess and speculate and attend to the transient faint and intangible may make us more open to seeing the ordinary as it ultimately is, unknown. This could be a source for expanding common modes of thinking and of acquiring and producing knowledge, the possibility to review what reality consists of and to imagine and explore the structures and relations that we exist in and create. Introduction Renewed interest in psychedelic substances is opening up research in therapy and neuroscience. Scholars and lay experts claim Psilocybin, or visionary mushrooms, alleviates headaches. Lysergic acid diethylamide, LSD, and mescaline help patients in psychotherapy. Silicon Valley technologists, quote-unquote, microdose LSD for cognitive enhancement. MDMA aids in couples therapy and to relieve post-traumatic stress disorder. Ayahuasca and iboga help opioid addicts overcome addictions, and so on. Additionally, neuroscientists and philosophers study psychedelics' effects on the brain when looking for neural correlates of consciousness, mystical experiences, and selfhood. The above-mentioned practices intrigue and benefit many people in need, yet the opposite side of the psychedelic coin is hardly discussed in great detail, that of the negative experience or bad trip, the fear, the, the fear people experience. In a recent psilocybin study at Johns Hopkins University, nearly 40% of hallucinogen-naive participants reported, quote, extreme ratings of fear, fear of insanity, or feeling trapped at some time during the session, end quote, with 44% reporting delusional or paranoid thinking. I want to know more about the why and what people are fearful of. Aldous Huxley writes about fear in mescaline-induced, uh, sorry, Aldous Huxley writes about fear of mescaline-induced altered states in his seminal work, The Doors of Perception. Quote, 
The fear, as I analyze it in retrospect, was of being overwhelmed, of disintegrating under a pressure of reality greater than a mind, accustomed to living most of the time in a cozy world of symbols could possibly bear. The literature of religious experience abounds in references to the pains and terrors overwhelming those who have come too suddenly face to face with some manifestation of the mysterium tremendum. In theological language, this fear is due to the incompatibility incompatibility between man's egotism and the divine purity, between man's self-aggravated separateness and the infinity of God, end quote. For Huxley, the symbols humans create play a comforting role because they represent and define sober reality. Psychoactive agents such as mescaline put pressure on or rather amplify one's senses and mind, altering one's sense of reality, perhaps even revealing obfuscated realities of sublimable significance. Terence McKenna, another well-known psychedelic writer, says, all psychedelics are experientially the same at low doses. Sub-perceptual and sub-threshold states do not induce the kind of fear I intend to investigate. Instead, large doses, or what McKenna calls heroic or committed doses, uh, for example, five dried grams of mushrooms, and what psychologist Stanislav Grof, Stanislav Grof calls, quote, single overwhelming dose, end quote, which would be about 250 micrograms of LSD, tend to induce the most fear. Fear caused by the overwhelming disintegration of one's ego and symbolic reality depends on dosage, as I shall argue in subsequent chapters. For example, to understand what the experience entails, McKenna summarizes the tryptamine family of psychedelics as interesting because of Quote, the intensity of the hallucinations and the concentration of activity in the visual cortex. There is an immense vividness to these interior landscapes. When one confronts these dimensions, one becomes part of a dynamic relationship relating to the experience while trying to decode what it is saying. End quote. Thus, it seems that the vivid vastness of psychedelic dimensions slash realities can be too much for the human organism to bear, for there is difficulty and potential frustration in translating the experience with the sober symbols to which one is accustomed. Furthermore, the psychedelic experience can be equally as hellish as it is mystical or therapeutic, as Huxley suggests from the title of his book, Heaven and Hell. It is the overwhelming fear, the fear, brought on by large doses of psychedelics that I will philosophically explore. In an attempt to rationalize psychedelic experiences, modern scholars since the 1950s commonly equate them to Eastern religious and philosophic traditions, such as Buddhism and Vedanta, and more importantly to mysticism. Hence, members of psychedelia likely applied the surrender motif found in mystical traditions to their psychedelic experiences. On the other hand, shamans do not surrender, but instead are said to control the psychedelic experience through the use of techniques and technologies. In this thesis, I reflect upon the use of symbols and technology during seemingly non-rational psychedelic experiences to know more about the interaction between self, other, human, and non-human actors. The central question I am concerned with is, in what ways can modern users conceptualize the psychedelic experience that counters the current fear-laden discourse on drugs? My aim is to provide new conceptions of psychedelics within the broader field of philosophy of drugs. I criticize illogical categories, unspecific terms, and dosage, and levels of intoxication not being carefully considered. Properly defining and deconstructing terms allows a clear picture of what is meant when psychedelics 
are discussed and how this relates to fear. Further, I apply the above-mentioned critiques to fears stemming from current discourse surrounding psychedelics from the perspectives of modern society slash institutions and users. Considering modern narratives shape my thinking, particularly when analyzing dualities between sober and intoxicated states, experiential content from within or without the user's mind, and shamanic and modern worldviews, I do not claim to fully understand societies, cultures, and states of consciousness different to my own. Rather, I draw on modern academics' research about other uh, subcultures or cultures and their practices in order to confront fear-laden discourse about psychedelics in society, resulting in conclusive prescriptive consequences for modern audiences, academics, and users alike to conceptualize psychedelic experiences anew. In Chapter 1, I examine modern society's fears of psychedelic users represented as society-individual relations by asking, how do psychedelics threaten the idea of being a rational subject in modern society where there exists established behavioral norms and shared knowledge among the citizenry? Society expects individuals to be rational agents, making rational decisions, ensuring a synchronization of common knowledge and behavior, for example, uh, in particular, how one should act, perhaps think and speak as a member of society. I focus the analysis on two institutions threatened by psychedelics, government and religion. First, through Foucault's historical analysis on asylums and the mentally ill and a number of pioneering psychedelic researchers, I showed that the outdated conception of psychedelics as producing temporary states of mental illness fabricates fears that drug users will harm themselves or others. Second, Stace's philosophical analysis of mysticism highlights the incommunicability slash ineffability of perceivably non-rational psychedelic experiences that confronts ideal that confronts ideals of being a rational subject, causing fear in non-users because users have access to unrelatable experiences. Furthermore, religious institutions fear psychedelics and, by comparison, mystical experiences because of their claimed divine nature. Thus, direct access to divine realms bypasses mainstream religions' hierarchical power structures. In Chapter 2, I aim to understand self psychedelic other relations. Posing the question, to what extent do otherness and the unknown contribute to individuals' fears of psychedelics in a modern context? Individuals' fears are also modern society's fears because of the realness and profundity of altered states and non-physical entities, for example, that confront notions of shared sociocultural knowledge. Modern psychedelic users Modern psychedelic users' adoption of mystics' surrender paradigm, or what I call surrenderism, induces fears when confronting what I call the psychedelic other, the context and content of people's share, uh, altered minds. Uh, surrender implies a master role, and thus three master-subject relations emerge to understand in which kind of relationship self and other engage. The philosophies of Hegel, Derrida, and Tupper inform master-slave, master-host-guest, and master-teacher-student relations, respectively, during encounters with psychedelic others. Next, I use a framework that I call the psychedelic matrix of knowability to delve into individuals' likely fears from known knowns, particularly bodily surrender, to unknown knowns, particularly uh, human absence versus non-human presence, 
borrowing from a multitude of thinkers such as Shannon, Freud, Lovecraft, and Harmon. The ultimate fear, I argue, is of a seemingly conscious and intelligent unknown presence. Finally, I expand the current debate in cognitive neuroscience and philosophy regarding the conception of self, particularly between narrative and minimal self, basing my arguments on Gallagher, Zahavi, Miliere, Stace, and Pankey. Although I make a case that narrative self is dominant in sober states, I produce a new framework accordant with surrenderism, suggesting that both narrative and minimal selves are present during psychedelic experiences, depending on dosage and intoxication levels. In Chapter 3, I pit modern notions of surrender and fear of psychedelic experiences against shamanic traditions of control and mastery. I contend that modern users need not abandon mystical traditions to explain their psychedelic experiences, however, to consider another prototypical figure, the shaman, to control, thereby reduce, users' fears discussed in Chapter 2. Regarding symbols, techniques, and technologies that couple with psychedelics, I investigate how can technology and the symbol provide a greater sense of control to psychedelic users. First, I explore contrasting epistemological claims within philosophy of religion, offering a rebuttal to the largely perennial arguments used thus far by Stace and Pankey by bringing in Katz's epistemological constructivism. Interestingly, just as narrative and minimal selves are possibly both present during psychedelic experiences, depending on dosage, so too, constructivist and perennialist approaches to subjective knowledge are likely also co-present depending on dosage. Second, I offer practical insights into shamans' and modern users' psychedelic techniques and technologies, arguing that one's worldview determines what kind of knowledge is sought and the means used. It would be unwise to assume that modern users can use shamans' methods ipso facto and vice versa. Finally, I base my final arguments on Kasiha to extrapolate the role of psychedelic symbols and technologies in self symbolico technological psychedelic other relations. I propose that combining symbols with technologies, as drug-taking shamans ostensibly do, form symbolico-technological relations that offer promising avenues of psychedelic research and exploration. End of introduction. The following is a disclaimer pertaining to the use of the Eboganautics podcast. Eboganautics is a podcast intended for entertainment purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional legal or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider or legal counsel with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or legal situation. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this podcast. Neither Eboganautics nor any of its affiliates, sponsors, producers, guests, or hosts encourage the illegal use of controlled substances.